It's not a place I'd rather be on this side of eternity than right here, right now with all of you. Thank you, Mike, for leading that song. Uh, I asked Mike to lead that one because as I've been preparing for this week's lesson, um, you'll see that that song is based off of this psalm. And I feel like I really struggled to prepare my thoughts because I just wanted to sing the whole time. So open your Bibles to Psalm 148. Uh, this is an awesome psalm. You know, we have been flowing the, or following the, the flow of life through the psalms over the last couple of weeks. We took a short break last week for LTC. Speaking of which, I think a lot of our LTC students are back in town after this uh, long weekend of, of competing and, and, and learning and being with other students. And I, I've already heard stories trickling in of how wonderful they did. So I'm excited to keep hearing about that. So thank you, young people, for making that a priority. And we are glad to have you back. Um, circling back to our psalm series, we began our very first week with a psalm of praise. It was a youthful praise from Psalm 100. And then we very quickly moved into a psalm of lament, Psalm 13. This was followed by the 23rd Psalm, a psalm of trust, which was followed by the 30th Psalm, a psalm of thanks. And, and through all of this, we've seen that we've followed these, these cycles of life, these rhythms that we go through over and over again as we walk this difficult path that's often laid out ahead of us. And, and now we finally land in the last week of our series, week five, Psalm 148, and we're right back at a psalm of praise. But I think it's a psalm of praise with a different dimension, a different level of complexity that's added to it. Because with each cycle of pain and, and trust and thanks, um, the foundation that it sets upon grows. I see this in so many of you. I think of the process of sanding and painting a piece of fine furniture or maybe a car. This isn't something that I should probably act like any sort of authority figure on because I like to spray paint things and then touch it and leave a fingerprint behind. But those who are really talented with painting understand that painting is quite a process. And so you might take a car and the first thing that you would do is you would work all of the bumps out and you would put the first coat of primer on it. And then you would take a piece of sandpaper and you would sand it off to help you see the low spots and the high spots. And this process would be repeated over and over again where, where you paint it and it looks pretty good. But then you come up to it and you rub it with a piece of sandpaper and it looks really bad. <laughs> and then you clean it off and you give it another coat of paint and it looks a little bit better. And then you rub it down with a piece of sandpaper and it, and it looks poor again. But through this process, you, you, you build up this coat and you build up this smoothness. And the, the product that's ended with, the final product is something beautiful, something that's complex and deep and layered. I think life is like that. As we go through these rhythms, um, as we go through the rhythms of, of pain and recovery, as we work ourselves through the Psalms and we see all these different places that we end up, with each cycle comes a layer of complexity. As we step into this Psalm, I think we're going to stare into the world of someone who has been through it all, and all we're going to see is praise. In fact, this is a song that starts at the beginning. And it grows louder with each verse. It, it, it crescendos with beauty towards the end. I kind of I have this picture of a, of a trickle of water that starts small. 
And then as it carves its way, it turns into a rushing torrent. Or this picture of a, of a pebble rolling down the side of a snowy hill that starts out as something small and ends up in an avalanche. And that's what we get with this psalm. So let's jump right in and read it. Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created. And He established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all deeps. Fire and, and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling His word. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for His name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for His people, praise for all His saints, for the people of Israel who are near to Him. Praise the Lord. Let's begin by turning our focus to the first six verses. See, he, uh, the psalmist starts way outside of the known universe and then begins drawing in towards those things that we'll f- we are familiar with. The first six verses. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created, and He established them forever and ever. He gave a decree, and it shall not pass away. We see praise from the heavens. We see praise from angels. Praise from the sun and the moon and the stars. Perhaps because all of those things are shrouded in a sense of mystery, mankind has always been drawn to to look up into the skies with, with a bit of wonder to direct our praise above. The sun, the moon, and the stars, and the, the ideas of, of the unknown, the heavenly beings that we can't see. We, we look up and we, we wonder what is out there. And the first six verses of Psalms confirms for us several things. This isn't the reason that it was written. But it tells us that there are realities beyond what we see. There are angels, angels in the heavens. And while it can be easy to be drawn to the unknown and and maybe in our ignorance want to praise it, want to cultivate a sort of worship for the things that we see, they're not to be our object of praise. In fact, they were created at His word just like we are. And instead of being objects of praise, they are things that point us towards Him. They stand as as a constant reminder from generation to generation that there is indeed a God. You know, we most definitely know more about the sun and the moon and the stars than any generation ever before. I find it interesting how one person, when equipped with with this information, sees God. And another person will, with great boldness, attempt to use the knowledge that we've gathered to explain away God. We certainly have a knack for finding what we're looking for, don't we? Um, Yet... I feel like there's something powerful, something special that happens in the process of surveying the sun and the moon and the stars 
and looking for these answers to these big existential questions that we might have. And I find as we ask these questions, we find in our search for knowledge ourselves falling woefully short of being able to speak rationally about the the very idea of existence at all without there being a higher being. If you try to explain the sun and the moon and the stars without a creator, you'll fail. The simple, almost childish question we ask ourselves to demonstrate is this. Ah, I see, that's wonderful, but where did that come from? Ah, yes, I I see, I see your answer there, but where did that come from? Where did that come from? Where did that come from? And as we ask this simpler, these questions, and the universe is broken down into its more simple and simple and basic elements, at the end we discover that that we can't think rationally about something coming from nothing. It doesn't work that way. All of the universe, the very fact that we exist, the stars and the moon and the sun, they point us to the fact that that this was created, that there has to be something outside of the bounds of understanding upon whose power we stand. Romans 1, 19-20 testifies to this fact. It tells us, for what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in things that have been made, so they are without excuse. You see, as we gaze out into the universe, we see the necessity of God. But we also see in all of its beauty that he must be a big and beautiful and powerful God. So from the Milky Way to the man on the moon to the blazing heat of the summer sun, we are reminded of him at every turn. Praise the Lord, says the psalmist. And I say praise the Lord indeed. So his voice is beginning its crescendo from the, from the far reaches of the universe and it's pointing us to him with these unanswerable questions and these magnificent realities. And then as if their present wasn't enough, he reminds us that, that don't forget all of these things you see, you know how they appeared? With a word. He spoke them into existence. And I think this is like a, like a symbol clash at the beginning of the psalm. A symbol clash in the music as he's, he's building and then he says, boom! And God created it when he spoke. Genesis 1, 2 through 3 says, The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And as the creation story progresses over and over again, we see this same pattern emerge. God speaks, and when he speaks, things show up, and every one of them sings praise to God. Yet the psalmist doesn't stop here. He continues um, growing the music louder and louder, and he moves closer towards us. He moves inward from, the un, from, the, from those things outside of the universe to those within the universe, but that are unknown and untamed. In verses 7 through 8, he says, Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all deeps, fire and hell, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word. You see, the psalmist crosses from the heavens now and he enters into the earth. And as he does, does he, he shows up in some of the most challenging terrain known to mankind, the oceans and the skies. And guess what we find there? Praise. 
We look at the oceans, and, and even in 2023, with all of our scientific advances, there's great mystery in the deeps of the ocean, a world untapped and unexplored, things there that no human being has ever seen, things that we, don't, that, that we can't even wonder about, we don't fully understand. We look into the, the weather, we see the skies, and, and we see natural phenomenon that we can't control, and we can't predict, and we can't escape. With a with a tiny lightning strike, God can burn down a forest. And with a hailstone, he can pummel the landscape. And with a snowstorm, he can bury your car. With a, with a mist, he can cover every inch of everything that we could see with dew that makes it drip with moisture. And even today, with, with all of our modern advances, we're humbled by these simple things. You don't have to go far to find things well outside of your understanding and well outside of your power. You know, I would looked at the news and um, we just had a, a bout of tornadoes run through the south to the upper midwest, wrecked havoc in a lot of places and killed quite a few people. We've seen wildfires and, and storms. We look at this and realize that we really are still vulnerable in so many ways and weak and despite our growing ability to predict some of these things, we certainly can't control them and we can't predict them with accuracy and as we see this, where else can we look? but to the name of the Lord. You know, I think scientists argue that it's a little bit intellectually dishonest to use God as our default explanation for things that we don't understand. But I would counter with this. I'm not against explaining things. I'm not against exploring. I think we should dive to the bottom of the ocean and learn what's there and study the weather and learn everything we can from it and do our best to explain it because so far the more we have explained the known universe the more it has proclaimed the glories of God it exposes its beauty and complexity I've yet to see a scientific discovery that undermines the need for God and causes creation to fail to send praise his way praise the name of the Lord for these things we don't understand these things that we can't control because they fulfill his word. As we move on through the psalm in verses 9 and 10, we introduce the terrestrial wonders. Mountains teeming with danger and adventure, animals of every make and model, birds that accomplish with ease what humanity has invested billions in obtaining. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, the psalmist says. And I ask myself, what's under the mountains that hold them up? What untapped natural resources lay beneath them all? You know, we spend billions of dollars a year trying to understand geological structures and, and pre predict what might be there and figure out how to get to it and be sure that we've gotten all of it. But there are countless places left unexplored, so many things that we don't know. Or, or forget what is under them. Just ask yourself questions about what's on top of them, the billions of microscopic biological interactions that occur every second. The looming picture that's created in your car window as you're, you're driving into the mountains and you think, oh, they're beautiful. And then as you drive closer and closer and closer, you realize you're, you're like a tiny ant attempting to navigate the, the metroplex of, of the Dallas area and comprehend all that is there. We're so small in the big scheme of things. The mountains proclaim His glory. Or you turn to the trees. Trees are amazing things. They, they set their roots out in loose soil. They, they spread this wind cell up into the sky 
for the wind to catch, and then somehow they, they don't blow away, and then they take all of this biological matter that decays into the ground, and they, they grow it into fruit. The trees proclaim the glory of God. Or we look at the diversity of the wild animals, the domesticated animals, the birds. What's life like for them? Blood, recreation, procreation, social infrastructure. Scientists have spent lifetimes trying to understand the realities of a singular species. And yet we look out and find that, that there are millions. Maybe creeping things. Maybe, maybe I can twist that a little bit and encapsulate the insects. Because in my backyard is a beehive. And I think bees are these incredible creatures. And from that one box, I could recount for hours the wonders of creation. The things that those bugs can do would blow your mind. They, they have a dance that lets them communicate to the others where the best source of food is when they come back to the hive in the evening. The symphony is rising. The praise is ringing out. Everywhere we look, the realities of God are proclaimed. And then we get in the psalm to the crown jewel of creation, mankind. In verse 11 and 12, he says, Kings of earth and all the peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. You'll remember the special place in creation given to men. The beings created in his very image. The being whose presence completed creation, taking it from good to very good. Genesis 1, 26 and 27 we read, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And in verse 31, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So much of what has already been said is true of mankind. We can marvel at our complexity. We can marvel at the unknown. We can marvel at so much that we've already seen in creation and is amply supplied and present in our very selves. But we throw in several different items when we get to mankind, several different things that are special and unique. Because with man comes the propensity for love and for art and for morality for conscious decisions and thoughts, we can marvel at the fact that we are marveling today. All of creation praises God, but humans are the only ones that realize it and appreciate it and process it and see it as valuable and beautiful. We see all of creation, and, and yet we understand that the glory should go to one place. We understand that there must be a being whose majesty rises above it all. Now, it would seem at this point the psalmist is getting a little out of line. While it certainly would be true that some kings and some people praise God, he seems to imply that all kings without qualification do so. All people, young men, maidens, old men, children, the implication here is that everyone praises him. I certainly think our attributes that permit us to even think such things point us towards him. So like it or not, as, as being uh, created beings made in his image, we exude an element of majesty towards the creator, whether we live in rejection of him or not. But I also see that the, the sum results of our conscious actions, good or evil, ultimately end up giving praise to God. We look through the Old Testament and we see Joseph's brothers read this morning, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. All authority. And God is using it. Zeroing in on the crown jewel of creation wasn't enough. 
we finally get to the crown jewel of the crown jewel. Because he zeroes in on mankind, and then he ends up zeroing in on his people, the people who are his. In verse 13, Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his saints, for the people of Israel Israel who are near to him. Praise the Lord. You see, the entire psalm has been crescendoing to this point. Praise Him, praise Him, praise Him. All creation praises Him. All creation points us towards Him. He's truly above all things. And then in His love and graciousness, He does something unexpected. He raises up a horn for those who are near to Him. Now, we've talked a little bit about a horn before. A horn represents power. Like a, like a rhinoceros has a horn there on the, on the tip of its snout. It's a singular point through which all of his power can be focused. And the text tells us that all of this glory and power that we just talked about, ranging from the far reaches of outside the universe that we can't even get to, all the way down to the crown jewel of creation, mankind, the power that created all of that has been focused in a singular point for the good of his people. He's raised up a horn and he's put his power to work for those who are near to him. So if you're one of those, if you're near to him, then the last line of this psalm should take a different tone. Praise the Lord. Because when the picture is done zooming in, it stops right here. Not necessarily on you as an individual. I think that would be taking it too far. But it stops on us as his people. This is where the psalm was heading all along. Let's read it again. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him all His angels. Praise Him all His hosts. Praise Him sun and moon. Praise Him all you shining stars. Praise Him you highest heavens and you waters above the earth. Let them praise the name of the Lord for He commanded and they were created. And He established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth you great exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for His people. And it ends with praise the Lord. But the latter carries with it the momentum built by all that a life of following him has explored. I'm so grateful for the Psalms because they of life. It's been a good day. It's been a day where God has received praise from many places that maybe he doesn't normally receive praise from. And I'm grateful for that. We serve a God who's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of praise in our pain. We serve a God who we can trust in times of goodness and times of difficulty. We serve a God who pulls us out of the pit and is worthy of our gratitude. We serve a God who has raised up a horn for his people. Praise the Lord. At this time, I would like to offer an invitation. An invitation to draw near to God. As his people, we will pray for you, support you, teach you, partner with you. We have waters of baptism ready if you would like to be baptized. We have elders ready to pray. Whatever your need is, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing.